Locked on Longhorns, the show, Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. And today we start the first part of a three-part series. I'm so grateful to have one of the goats of YouTube, definitely one of the goats of Longhorn Twitter, Longhorn YouTube, just Longhorn Sports, Stephen Ngati uh, from Fanatic Perspective. Y'all all know him. Y'all all subscribe to him. Y'all all watch him all the time on live and all of that. And for my audio listeners, if you're not tapped into Fanatic Perspective on YouTube, please go do that. But like I said, this is going to be the first part of a three-part series today. We're going to talk about what's been good and what's been bad with this Longhorn football team through eight games on the offensive side, on the defensive side, and then with the coaching staff. And then for the second part, we're going to attack it from an analytic perspective. What are the numbers saying about this Texas team with Nash Talks Texas from YouTube as well? And then the third part, what looks good and what looks bad schematically for the Texas Longhorns with another YouTube all-star Texas Homer. So I can't wait to bring all of those episodes to you over the next week, but don't want to get ahead of myself. So let's get back to part one with Steven and Gotti from Fanatic Perspective. And Steven, I want to get right into it. I don't want to waste any time. From your opinion, from your perspective, we'll start with the good. In your opinion, what has been good from this Texas offense through eight games? So thanks for having me on, John. I really appreciate it. And this is a series that you're doing that is very much needed for this fan base. So thank you for putting this together and for having me on. In terms of the good, to answer your question offensively, uh, you know, your best players, Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, I mean, and then even Xavier Worthy, they're being showcased. And you have, you're, you're getting, you know, to me, even when our run blocking was struggling up front earlier in the season, we've stuck with it. Um, Texas is, is, you know, Steve Sarkeesian said before the season, we're a running football team. And regardless of what packages we've been in or, or, or where we've, you know, short yardage or things like that, I, I feel as though our run game is is actually been solid all season. And, you know, this past week against Oklahoma State, averaging over six yards per carry and having some explosive runs, um, our best players are being featured there. So I think that is very much a positive the pass blocking, I know we struggled a little bit there, but offensive line play just in general with how young the group is and how much turnover we had from last season and what Kyle Flood has done in recruiting and developing Christian Jones, moving him over to right tackle, uh, having to play Jake Majors again at center after he wanted Junior Angle out there. They've Kyle Flood's overcome adversity with that group. And for the most part, I would say I've been impressed they have played better than I expected them to play this season, quite frankly, especially in their pass, pass protection. It hasn't been disastrous. They've had struggles. They've had some communication gaps. They've had pre-snap stuff. But if we're looking at it from a, you know, overall, like people thought Will Anderson and Dallas Turner were just going to go buck wild that, that, for that second week, and they didn't. And we have young guys that are clearly developing there and clearly getting better. So from an offensive standpoint, you look at the run game, the physicality, there's development happening there. I think that's very tangible when I watch this team play. So one thing you said was our best players are getting showcased, right? But there's also been a lot of talk amongst Longhorn fans and people that cover the team that outside of, you know, the Whittingtons and the Worthies and the Roshan, Keelan and, and Bijans, all of these other talented playmakers that we thought we would see coming into the season, we haven't seen much of at all. So, you know, I remember we did an episode earlier and we talked about what we thought the receiver rotation would look like. It's looked like anything but that. So yep. what are your thoughts on, you know, the I'm trying to think how to word this? What are your thoughts on 
the playmakers that we haven't seen that we thought we would see a lot this year, the Ajay Halls, the Brennan Thompsons, the Savion Reds, people of those ilk. What are your thoughts on the rotation we've seen thus far at the skill positions? I think when when we've been good, some of that can be explained away by personnel groupings. We've played we've played a lot of 12 and we've played a lot of jumbo. You know, Andre Kerrick's played a lot of football for us. So when you're going six offensive linemen a lot or max protect a lot, there's somebody that's not going to be on the field. So a lot of times you're having it ended up with Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington or Xavier Worthy and Casey Kane. Now, I think where the frustration comes into play is, and we'll get to the second half woes, but where we need a spark or we need to have some of those explosive plays that we see early in the game that Sark just naturally scripts week over week. We don't even see those guys getting rotated in. I think a lot of frustration is starting to come when our quarterback, whether Hudson Card struggled earlier in the year, Quinn Ewers facing his struggles this past week, where, we're, hey, we need some easy completions. We need some some stuff getting going behind the line of scrimmage or just laterally. And we see people get rotated in like a Brennan Thompson. He gets a 32-yard pass last week, and then we never see him again. We see Kaelin Robinson open the game, I think, early on with a 19-yard just catch and run right out of the backfield, and he plays seven snaps. So those are the those are the things where it's a little puzzling. And I know he's in the running back room, but Ajay Hall, they they were they came out and said he's gonna red shirt, right? That's their plan. Uh Savion Red, I don't know what their plan is there. And I think some of the other the questions I have is if you're not gonna redshirt somebody and then you put them in the game two snaps and you you burn my red shirt, what's the plan here? And I think that's a fair question if I'm Savion Red or Brennan Thompson, who just played his fourth game, or some of these other guys, where it's like, you're, okay, you're burning my red shirt, but I'm playing like three, three or four snaps. I'm not really understanding what the what the path of the plan is there. So I think that needs to be better defined, especially during the bye week. Yeah, I definitely forgot to to mention Tariq Milton as well, but a, a lot of receivers that we haven't seen a lot from, and, and we thought that was going to be. Uh, just an embarrassment of riches really at the skill positions this year. We mm-hmm. thought we would uh, just rotate people in and just kill people. You know? <laughs> and, that, and that just hasn't happened. Um, all right. So that was the good. Now let's talk about the bad. What has the bad been for you through eight games for this Texas offense? The inability to score points in the second half. I mean, talk it's, about it's, it. it's talk it's, about it's, it. It's, it's just loud at this point. It is. It's a it's a problem that has now gone over multiple seasons. It's not even just this season, but if we just focus on this season and we focus on the power five opponents that we've played, we're averaging 10 and a half points per game in the second half. And we're averaging about 22 points per game, 22, 23 points per game in the first half. So our production is being cut by more than 50 percent over the over the course of halftime. When you've gotten a picture of the defense, you should understand the personnel you're playing and, and either anticipate the adjustments that they'll make or have beaters and counters already built in just based upon what you're seeing. And these struggles, I think, have become psychological because I thought this staff was aggressive with their play calling and their play design against Oklahoma State in the second half. And then it turned into we can't execute anything. And it's it's become very frustrating. We just talked touched on the personnel guys that we think can help us and alleviate some of those challenges. But the second halves to score three points in the second half after putting up 31 in the first half against the 129th ranked passing defense that is missing people. 
I mean, what else can we say? What else can we say, John? I mean, the the only game where we really went crazy in the second half was Oklahoma, and we know what that was at this point. So every other data point we look at, whether it's – and there's some where we have excuses where we can say, hey, Queen Ewers went down. Hey, we had this, this you know, Xavier Worthy went down against Tech or some of these things that have popped up that are valid, yes. But for it to be happening at the rate that it's happening, and I know Nash and them will get into that better than I can, but just from a fan you know, point of view, it's frustrating that you can feel the anxiety through your TV screen when we're just trying to get first downs in the second half. You can feel it. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the coaching staff next, and I'm going to let Steven talk about the good and the bad. But I want to ask you, if you could pinpoint anything or, or maybe even guess, right, what's going on between the first half and the second half, what would you put it on? Because like you said, this is something that plagued this Texas team last year. I mean, you're talking about a 5-7 and seven team that easily could have been 8-4, and four, and we're talking about, you know, way different expectations for this year. And then now we've seen it the same thing twice in both true row games. It happened – almost identically right the, the exact same way you come out kind of stomp on in the first half get a double digit lead and then you lose it so in your opinion what is going on in these second halves and is this something that you know will be fixed over time or is this something that's really concerning now that we're seeing it two years in a row it is a concern now that it's happened two years in a row and until until we see a, a 17 24 point third quarter where they just come out until we see it we won't know i mean we haven't seen that yet right and so we're, we're seeing halves where they score one touchdown we're seeing i mean last last week they return a punt to the 20 yard line xavier worthy returns a punt to the 20 yard line we gain five yards so i think one of the the things is the amount of game planning and, and design and that's one of the positives that we can absolutely home run with with sark his preparation is a one rob babers has talked about this ad nauseum about how good he is preparing for his opponents and breaking them down. There has to be some unconventional method to do this in the second half as well, or at least have something scripted ready to go uh, for your third quarters. It's tough, though, because it, it, football in the game, it becomes a chess match, but it also becomes a game of feel. It's like, you know what? I'm leaning on this team. We've beaten them up with all this counter, right? And then they put people in the box. Let's let's go ahead and have something built in, anticipating the numbers coming down to beat the numbers, you know, however we need to to take advantage of the opponent. We're not we come out and it's like, oh, they stopped this. And then we're kind of slow or sluggish to get into anything else. Then when we do try to be aggressive, like I said before, now we're not executing. And I think that's psychologically gotten into the players heads as well. So there has to be an emphasis in the program to finish we have to play our best football in the third and fourth especially the fourth quarter we can't be averaging what like 2.3 points per fourth quarter that that's just that's not going to get it done and maybe maybe you have to experiment with things like tempo i've liked this team when they've gone tempo this year maybe you have to play with some things like that and just see how the kids respond but i would take i would take that approach of preparing a script for the for the second half even though that's rather unconventional and maybe mess around with tempo a little bit. Uh, yeah. That's all I can imagine to guess with. 
Yeah, me and Lando talked about how I love how they came out with tempo right off the bat against Oklahoma. And I thought that really a defense that was already, you know, kind of real and it definitely uh, had them on the ropes. You talked about the second half struggles. This is a team that has been outscored through eight games by 29 points in the fourth quarter. That's just simply unacceptable for our offense with this many playmakers. A quick word from Underdog Fantasy, and then we're going to talk about the good and the bad, although we've kind of got into it a little bit from this coaching staff. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up college football season. Look, it's easy to play and available in over 30 states. All you have to do is pick between two and five players across any team, not just your team, and decide if they will finish higher or lower. One of the easiest fantasy to play games out there, and you can win cold, hard cash in a single game. Sign up with the promo code Locked On. That's one word, and Underdog will double. Double your first deposit up to $100. Deposit $100, get $100 free. We all love free. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store slash Google Play Store. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code locked on. Get in on the college football pick 'em action today. So, Steven, now we're going to talk about the coaching staff. And this is everybody, not just Steve Sarkeesian, but you can key in on Steve Sarkeesian if you would like. But what have you seen? What has the good been through eight games in the second year for this coaching staff? So I I do think that with all of the stuff that's happened outside of their control, they've done a better job with their culture and keeping guys plugged in. Um, I know some things were unraveling last week, but that's just the nature of losing and frustration. But when you consider you lost the quarterback in the year that you're developing, Worthy's been banged up. You know, you had suspensions going on. You have guys that you were really going to count on before the season that went down. And how they've navigated a young offensive line defensively, um, just getting those guys. So I'll start with the offense. I've, I've, I've really, I really, really give them a lot of credit for at least getting this, this product week over week, still with the same type of game plan and wide open stuff and all the things that they're doing early in games. I give them a lot of credit for that, despite the adversity defensively I actually think this team looks really well coached I really do I I especially the defensive the interior defensive line the way they're grading is not a secret I give the coaching staff a lot of credit for for using the guys that have bought in on that side people are improving their draft stock over there the interior defensive line guys draft stock is improved Jalen Ford's draft stock is improved Jade Barron I think right now would be first team big 12 as a defensive back and I'm really excited for the guys that do come into the program. I do feel like I do I do see the development aspect, the individual development aspect that has been preached, and they said that they would bring here. So I think that's a positive for this for, for this coaching staff that I've been impressed with. Okay, and you talked about the offense. One thing I asked on my last episode was. What is Sark's offensive identity and has it been consistent week to week? So I kind of asked that, you know, uh, what's, what's the word where you're asking something you don't expect a response? I don't I can't believe I'm drawing a blank right now. A rhetorical question. Rhetorical question. I asked it rhetorically to the fans. <laughs> but since we got the expert on here, I kind of want you to answer that. If I asked you or if you're talking to a stranger that's not familiar with Texas football, what was Texas football's? What is what is Sark's offensive identity? And. Is it consistent week to week? How would you answer that question? So I would say Sark's offensive identity is that of a power run team. That's what they want to be. And, and I do think they come out and show that. Um, 
whether it's jumbo, whether it's some of the, you know, the, the, the GT counter that they were hitting last week, they're a power run team and they want to take play action shots and they want to push the ball downfield as much as possible. And they want to attack the, the opponent also with deep crossers and the ability to create a lot of two-on-one situations for defensive backs where you do create a lot of wide open opportunities. Um, I also think it's a, it's a diverse offense. We see a lot of personnel like our running backs that are featured in the past game that we can, you know, go empty and have guys running wheel routes out of the backfield. So we, we do have diverse elements there. I would say that we've looked the part there. I just think that my, where my frustration comes in is I feel as though this Texas roster offensively has the answer to every test. For every question you have, there's an answer on the roster. I just think they struggled to find it throughout a four-quarter game. I really personally feel that way. There's sometimes where you look at, like, defensively, I don't think they have the answers to every test. Like, I know we don't have an elite edge rusher. There's nothing I can do about that. If I'm PK or GP or Jeff Chote or whoever, Bo Davis, I know I don't have a playmaker, like an Earl Thomas back there that's just going to go and erase a whole bunch of stuff. I don't have that. But offensively, if I need somebody to blow past the defense, I have those people. If I need a running back to be dynamic, I have those people. I have the arms back there. I have mobility if I need it from the quarterbacks. I have my tight ends. I have an offensive line that is getting better and better, and they're not bad. Like the, the offensive line, you cannot blame them anymore like we used to over the last few years. That's not the case now. So I have the answers if I'm a staff. It's just that they struggle, like we were talking about earlier with personnel, i.e. Brennan Thompson or Keelan Robinson, to incorporate those guys when they get into a groove and, and you know try to go the other way. Yeah, so I talked about also new head coaches. One thing they have to do, I believe, is establish their identity on their side of the ball. And we know that Sark is, uh, you know, has been tabbed as an offensive genius. This is off the top of my head, but I believe right now through eight games, this Texas offense is 25th in the country in scoring and 33rd in total offense. Of course, when you're looking at that out of the span of 131 FBS teams, that's really good. But, you know, we talked with Homer in the group chat and, and he would say that 25th in scoring and 33rd in total offense is an elite like this Texas offense could be, you know, a lot higher in that top 10 to 15 range. So with them being 25th in scoring and 33rd in total offense, how would you judge that through eight games? I, I would say, I mean, I think a lot of people thought we were going to be in the teens um, in, in those metrics. Now, part of that, we may knock that because we played a lot of football without Quinn Ewers. However, we were also humbled with with Quinn. So for, for all the fans that said, oh, well, we would have beat Texas Tech if we had Quinn Ewers on the road. But then we turn around and say, well, we lost Oklahoma State because it was his first road game. And he, you, you see what I'm saying? You are what your yeah. record is at the end of the day. And this is why I've said we have to stop making excuses with hypotheticals and, and embrace what the reality of the situation is. That's why I was frustrated about the Texas Tech game. The pieces were there regardless of Hudson Card's play, which was fine, to beat that team, to score more points. And so if your second half metrics are at least three quarters of what you have in the first half, tell me what our metrics then would be. You're not, you're not 33. You're probably top 10. 
right? And so as good as we've been, and we've been good, nobody's nobody's disputing that. The numbers don't lie. But with again, you have the answers to every question on the test in terms of personnel, in my opinion. And so, and we see it too much. They score too easy through too many points of the game <laughs> where it's like, this shouldn't be the struggle y'all think it is. But we have to we have to match that mental aspect with the kids. Some people also could blame that just on overall youth. Sure. But you you did a great job on your video with Coach Heupel and some other coaches around the country. I mean, even Brian Kelly at LSU. I mean, there's coaches. Sonny Dykes. Yeah. Sonny Dykes, right? I mean, we can we can we can make excuses, yes. And there some of them are valid. But when we start comparing it to the teams that are having success, there are people with younger staffs or have less answers to the questions on the test than we do. And they're still figuring out week over week. That's what needs to get solved, um, in my opinion, for, for Steve Sarkeesian and his staff. Now, you you made such a great point about them being 25th in, in, in scoring and 33rd in total yards with the way they've bogged down in the second half. So there's absolutely no reason that they should be not be in the teens uh, in both of those metrics or single digits in, in both of those metrics. You talked earlier uh, about some of the issues with this coaching staff, but now we got to get to the bad. So is there anything you didn't touch on yet or what are some things that you think have uh, left you know a little to be desired uh, from the coaching staff? I think they send mixed messages to players and that needs to. So for example, in the tech game, you you talk about, Hey kids, we got to have a killer instinct. We want to, we want you guys to go out there and, and step on people's necks and blow people out, but your play calling doesn't align to it. And so what lessons are we learning week over week from these challenges? What have we learned from the seven blown leads in the 10 losses? And are we overcorrecting? See, and I'll, I'll introduce this because I saw your face there. So let's let's consider this. Since everybody cried about the Roshan package, we haven't seen it again. Think mm. about it. Mm. Everybody cried about the Roshan package. But what we were saying was you need to add on to that. You need to expect. Nobody's saying you should never run it again. But I feel like sometimes they, they get in their own heads and they overcorrect. And now they've completely scrapped the package. When that package, we had had success, a lot of success. It worked in almost every game but one. Yeah, it worked in almost every game but Texas Tech. Yeah, Right. And it was just a little adjustment that needed to be made. Yeah, We were asking for a tweak, not to scrap it. So some some of these things, there's some overcorrecting going on. And I have also said in terms of mixed messages, we let the offensive line, they're young. They're allowed to make mistakes. I see all, all these guys, even some of the older guys that make mistakes. But they're allowed to stay in the game. They're allowed to grow. They're allowed to learn. They get coached. We see with the quarterbacks. Queen Ewers threw 30 incomplete passes. You got to stay in there and battle. Okay? they. I heard a stat. The 15 overthrows were the most by any FBS quarterback in the last three seasons. So in a, in a single game. So you, But you allow all that to happen. But I have a Jai Hall catch one pass in Texas Tech and, and gets a P.I. And then we never see him again. Brennan Thompson catches a ball. Whether or not he missed an assignment in run blocking, I don't know, but he gets pulled. I feel like those are mixed messages, in my opinion. Granted, the personnel groups are different. The need is different. But that opportunity to get on the field and learn, 
especially when there's not a person ahead of them balling like that. It's not like, you know, it's not like little Jordan Humphreys in front of them and that's why they can't get on the field. I mean, it, we're not getting a whole bunch of production anyway from the other people that are going out there. I don't understand. It, it feels like it's mixed messages and maybe I'm tripping. I don't know, but just some of the things that I've, that I've noticed where I don't understand what they're doing. And I hope that they can find some answers to these things over the bye. Yeah, that's an amazing point. I make those faces because you amaze me every time I talk to you. And I'm like, man, that's a, a damn good point. That's why I bring you on the show. Quick word from the Longhorn Real Estate team. And then we're going to talk about this defense, who I think has really exceeded all of our expectations through eight games. Dwelling Austin and Hill Country Mortgages have combined to make your Longhorn Real Estate team. And for all your real estate needs in the Austin area, make sure you're visiting www.longhornrealestateteam.com because in a changing, more complex market, you need to work with the top professionals in Austin. And our data and information-driven approach gives our clients a significant advantage. Decades of experience in all market conditions make us able to achieve the best results for our clients and our clients for years have outperformed the market, leveraging our proprietary research, information, and expertise, which is now more important than ever. For all your real estate needs in the Austin area, please visit www.longhornrealestateteam.com. Hill Country Mortgages, LLC, NMLS 2324262. Jonathan Sarver, NMLS 993872, equal housing opportunity. So, Stephen, I want to ask you about the defensive side of the ball because coming into, I haven't checked it, you know, it's my fault, lack of research, but coming into the game, against Oklahoma State, they were only giving up about 18 points a game. Might have been even a little less than 18 points a game. And then, of course, they gave up uh, the 41 to Oklahoma State. But let's talk about the good from this defense. What has been good to you through eight games for that side of the ball? So uh, I got actually got the number for you because I just was wrapping up something else that okay. I edited. So Appreciate right you. now, post-Oklahoma State, they're 21.1 points allowed on the season. It's which still I great. Believe- which is like 23rd in the country. Great. That's really good. Y'all, we were 99th last year. (laughs) Let me say it again. We were 99th last year. We're currently 23rd. I believe in terms of average yards per carry in the run game, we're like 15th. There's some metrics there that were really high. I think per pass, we're in the top 20s. We're somewhere in the the mid-20s there. I mean, there's some really good stuff on the defense metric wise when you incorporate the eight games of this season uh i think that they've been consistent from a standpoint of obviously interior line play run play they've only gotten gashed a handful of times i was frustrated with the Jaden nixon run against oklahoma state that was but that was that was at a point now where i can say wow that was uncharacteristic for my defense that yeah that's good yeah (laughs) that's a good thing to be able to say I, that was actually uncharacteristic. And they, it's not like it continued to happen. I mean, they lost – they'll get gashed sometimes in short yardage, but, like, that that's just college football. I mean, the mobile quarterback thing, I think they've actually gotten a little bit better with that. Um, and and they, they're getting as much pass rush as I think as you can generate considering the personnel that they have. Um, I'd like to see them get a little bit more aggressive with their blitzing, but technique-wise, um, you know, just not – the most points we gave up, I think this was past week, was the 41. Other than that, I mean, you had a shutout against OU. You had kind of holding people around 20. They make adjustments. I do see them making adjustments. And I think they play very, very hard considering the amount of snaps that they have to play when their offense kind of dips in the second half. And if you notice, if you go look at the defensive metrics, and Nash will get into this way better than I can, but in the second half, there's not a whole – there's not a – big decline from their first half performance like we're seeing with the offense 
that's a really good sign. I, I talked about the individual development we're, we're seeing earlier. I don't like people asking me questions about PK's job security and talk about it. Talk about it. I don't it. like those questions because I'm seeing real improvement from year one to year two. And to me, it just doesn't even make sense. If, if, if we were playing better complementary football as an entire football team, you guys would be really, really, really thrilled with this defense. But so far, when I look at the macro of the season, they are very well, they are very much ahead of where I, I, we pre- we were talking about if they could be halfway, right? Which is like top 65. That's what we were talking about in preseason spaces and all that stuff. Just They're don't lose the game. game. Just don't lose the game. You know, keep it in front of you. Now, yeah, they're third down. Actually, I'll, I'll pause there because I just said a lot. And we, and we can go into the things I want to see improve. But I like the defense. I really do. No, that's a really good point. And you talked about PK and and – it's crazy that I feel like he's kind of underrated as a coach, you know, and then you he's talk about underrated. the offense could come out and score three points in the second half and, and we'll hear a litany of excuses for Sark. But, you know, the defense is dominating and then they have one bad performance and it's fire PK elevate, you know, Gary Patterson. So uh, Pete Kukowski definitely needs his flowers and I'm going to make sure that Locked On Longhorns is a platform uh, where he gets his flowers. One thing that's really interesting to me, Stephen, because we talked about how this defense has been better than expected. But there's a stark difference in the true road splits and where they play everybody else. So in six games that are not true road games this year, five at DKR and then one in the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma, they've allowed 91 points. That's Mm. in six games. They've allowed 78 points in their two true road games. So from 91 in six games to 78 in two games on the road. What do you think is the reason for that? So first, first thing that comes to mind is the play count. The Tech game, we know we were over a hundred. This past against week, Oklahoma State, yeah. we were at ninety-eight. And I just, I just, I just, I'm not trying to give them a whole pass. They gave up, they, like the touchdown they gave up at the end of the game to Braylon Green is unacceptable. You know, it's a, just a, it's an easy double slant. Even if you give up the completion, you have to get people on the ground. And there were too many times in the Oklahoma State game where we were allowing extra yardage or we weren't get that. And that hasn't been a big issue for us this year. So that was frustrating to see. However, when you play that many snaps, you only have but so much in you. And there's opportunities. This is why I said the lack of complimentary football. We have opportunities where we can get points on a punt return. We can get points off of a fumble or interception or, or, you know, turnover on downs, as we saw in the Texas tech game, the, our defense is not being rewarded for those, for those opportunities that they're creating, like they should be. And I think if, if they had been rewarded, energy and momentum is a real thing. And those close turnarounds or those, those, Oh, we're now going from up 10 to hanging on and we're tied to, Oh, we're now we're down three or seven. Now that goes turns into we're up three scores. And now my now I'm more pass rush mindset oriented. Now my guys on defense are like, oh wow, we we forced a, a three and out or a four and, or turnover on downs, and we got seven. We helped the team. You know what I'm saying? They need to feel like they're they being rewarded for their efforts. And too many times we have failed them. Brothers don't even have you know requisite water down their throats and they're already back on the field. 
So we, we, we've got to, we've got to address some of those things. And I think that's been a real struggle on the road. Yeah. If I told a, a Texas fan how good this defense was, you know, by the metrics and then also told them that Texas was five and three, they might look at me crazy, right? <laughs> good stuff from Steven talking about the offensive side, the defensive side and the coaching staff. But before we get out of here, I'm going off the menu. I'm going to ask Steven. I haven't even talked to him about this, but he's talked about it in one of his most recent videos. Videos. Make sure you check it out uh, on his YouTube channel at Fanatic Perspective. Our former leader, our fearless leader, our general, Sam Ellinger, has been named the starter for the remainder of the season. He gets 10 games to prove to the doubters that he's not a fullback. He is actually a very good quarterback, and he has a chance to do it for the Indianapolis Colts, who are in the midst of a division race with the Tennessee Titans. What do you expect from Mr. Ellinger for the rest of the season? In every game, I, except for the Cowboys game. We know we know how Michael will get down on him, but, but in, in, in the other nine. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, Cowboys, Cowboys game aside, which I'll, I'll be there for that one in December. But um, the, you know, his first start is against the Commanders this Sunday. And I'm just, A, I'm very excited for him and, and just seeing him out there and, and knowing the heart and the juice that he's going to give that Colts offense that's much needed. I actually think, depending on how he's used and how I think he'll be used, excuse me, in terms of being allowed to use his legs a little bit and and have some of those dual threat capabilities that we've seen from guys like a Jalen Hurts recently, uh, you know, or, you know, not Lamar. Lamar is a whole different animal and Kyler and them speed-wise. But the mobile quarterbacks in the league that are able to, you know, I, I even use this comparison about Tyler Huntley um, out of Utah who played a lot of football last year for Baltimore and was really, really good. Right. And guys that were just ready to go and, and able to give their teams a different look. What One of the things I expect from Sam, though, is he's going to be prepared. He's going to be prepared. He's going to know the offense cold. And I think people are going to be surprised with his decision making, how decisive he is for for a second year player um, and just the natural confidence he'll bring to the offense. And I expect him to be a weapon inside the goal line, um, you know, inside the red area and whatnot you know, just the dual threat capabilities and making good decisions and moving his team down the field. Do I think he's going to be this amazing arm talent or anything like that? I think, you know, that remains to be seen, but we know this, he's been worked extremely hard on his mechanics, his ability to, to shorten up his release. And we, we saw in the preseason, he was the best looking quarterback in the NFL preseason. So I'm just really excited for his opportunity. I know Longhorn nation is going to be watching uh, in, in in droves that game this Sunday against Washington. Yeah, and Fox is smart enough to make sure that that game is viewable in Austin, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, wasn't a, that wasn't an accident. But you talked about his preparation. He said, you know, I, I prepare like the starter every week, and, and so I'm not nervous. And you talked about his dual threat ability, and I think that's a big reason they went to him. And he talked about that. You know, he can affect, uh, you know, impact defenses, affect defenses uh, with his arm and his legs. Thank you so much for uh, Stephen and Gotti. Uh, to coming on the show again from Fanatic Perspective, Locked on Longhorns, to tell us everything we need to know about the good and the bad on the offensive, defensive side, and the coaching staff. Is there anything you want to plug at this point before we get out of here? If you have Jonathan Taylor on your fantasy teams, I think Sam Ellinger might help him out too, by the way. Uh, I know a lot of people have been you know, frustrated in fantasy football about Jonathan Taylor. I think he was probably very popular as a one or two pick. But anytime you see those mobile quarterbacks in there, sometimes they can actually help out the running back get going too. So I just wanted to add that. Um, other than that, um, we have a uh, Texas-Oklahoma State postmortem 
coming out on my channel um, and, and some more Big 12 outlook, a little, you know, Oklahoma State, Kansas State prep. Uh, what, what's coming with TCU, what we'll face against Kansas State, you know, just how we can get back in the race. But fanatic perspective on YouTube, fan perspective on Twitter, uh, IG, you know, TikTok, the whole bit. I appreciate the love. And uh, make sure you guys subscribe and hit the like button on this video right now, too, and spread the word for what John's doing on Locked on Longhorns. This is impressive. And he's got a whole series coming with me, Nash, Texas Homer. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, man. Good stuff. Appreciate you. And, you know, talk about fantasy football. I started off 0-4, made a hell of a run, run three games in a row. I'm like, all right, I'm getting back. Oh, man. You know, got back up to the sixth seed, you know, so I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm in the playoffs as of now. And then this guy finds out today that I might miss Jamar Chase for four to six weeks, man. So when it rains, it pours in, in, in the fantasy world. I'm hoping y'all fantasy teams are doing a little bit better than my fantasy team is doing right now. But as always, Longhorn Nation, hook them. Peace.